This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. You are not used to listening to me uh, on a Tuesday. We do have a little bit of bonus audio here. I wanted to get Big Dave Meltzer on for Sunday's show, uh, but he was was out of town, so uh, we decided to just record this uh, Monday night for Tuesday morning show. And this will be a shorter episode. You know, it's 30 some odd minutes, so a much shorter than normal, a little bit of a bonus show. So hopefully get it, you get a kick out of it. It is uh, Dave and I talking about UFC 252, Daniel Cormier and Steve Miocic, the trilogy fight, what it means, the legacy of both guys. And we talk about a couple other fights on the card. And then if you heard... Sunday night show with uh, myself and John LaRocca and Larry, where we spent pretty much the whole time just talking about WCW 1992. I did ask Dave about conversations with Bill Watts around Ron Simmons and just, you know, the Simmons uh, winning the title, the victory, what it meant, uh, the the crowd pop, and also sort of, uh, you know, why, why it didn't last very long. So uh, enjoy the show with uh, coming up with Dave and myself. All right, I want to welcome Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer. I was recently on the uh, Wrestling Observer Radio, and we did a show. So Dave's going to come back and do one here. We'll do a short one, but uh, I think the most intriguing thing to me for this entire week is uh, Cormier and Miocic, their third fight in the trilogy. I kind of feel like this is not getting as much publicity as I would have thought based on a, the UFC is doing a really good job with their pay-per-view business. And B, like from a legacy standpoint, this is a really important fight. I think it's going to really pick up on Wednesday. Um, so I, I actually expect it to be really, really big the next, you know, starting midweek. I think it's a, I think the story is there. Uh, you know, it's Cormier's retirement fight. I mean, I'm writing about it right now. And to me, it's a. To me, it's the biggest fight of the year. It's it's just a very, you know, you got they're they're trying to push it as the battle for who the greatest heavyweight of all time is, and you can absolutely strongly make the case that that's what this is, even though they're both older. Um, and it's you know, Cormier is one of the great fighters of all time, and it is his retirement fight, most likely, because uh, you never you know how fighters are with retirements. But it, I think it will be. I really do. And he's either going to go out 
on the happiest of happy endings. I mean, it's, you know, you rarely see the true storybook ending because even like people say GSP, but you remember that night with GSP, he won, but it wasn't like it was the ending. He was going to come back, but he never did. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like the ending was him, you know, sending a tweet that he's vacating the championship because he's got, you know, uh, whatever is colitis. I mean, that was his ending, you know, with um, and maybe he'll come back one more time, but probably not. Um, but this is going to be like either the giant happy ending and and I've been trying to think like who in MMA has ever had the giant happy ending. I mean, Mark Munoz did in the Philippines, but it was, you know, it was just a fight. It wasn't like a world championship fight. It was just they, they put him in and they put him in a position to have it. Faber had it in Sacramento, but Faber came back afterwards. So mm-hmm. his last, you know, the Faber's last fight, he got demolished. So he didn't really have it either. So so almost nobody's had it. And this, you know, this has a chance to be it or. It'll be like, you know, most farewells. You know what I mean? Just uh, you get beat by a younger guy. So there you go. But, um, you know, and and I think one of the interesting things about it, too, is is we know that we know that either man could beat the other. Mm -hmm. We know that. I mean, we've seen it. Yeah, we've seen both knock out the other. Um, You know, Cormier's big argument is that, you know, he, he won by first round knockout in the first fight and he dominated the second fight. He had more advantage time in the second fight. You know, and he was winning the fight and handily early on. And then he got tired and Miochik also, you know, the key was that he kept body punching him. Cormier never defended it. And by the time Miochik was just just it was just a target and Cormier was done in the fourth round. Um, You know, Cormier says he's in better shape now than he was for that fight. Maybe he is. You know, he's 41 years old. I mean, you say whatever you want. I mean. You know, it's he's been it's, doing a lot of announcing. He does a lot of announcing. He's does does a lot of coaching. Uh, maybe not so much now, but um, you know, there's he's got a lot of happiness. He's got kids. You know, many kids. His wife's pregnant again, by the way. And you know, it's just like he's a, he's a civilized man and a happy civilized man in a world where it's best to be kind of unhappy and very uncivilized i think you know and and miochik is civilized too you know he's still a firefighter and everything like that which is it was really kind of an amazing story that this guy who's making big money as a fighter you know he puts his his regular job first you know firefighting he won't give it up so i mean that's that's you know an interesting story in, in and of itself but um you know yeah i mean i i would love to see him win it would really be you know, one of those great moments in MMA history if he were to win. And if he were to lose, I mean, it's, you know, hope, hopefully they have a good video planned, you know, for the for the farewell, you know, rather than just, you know, oh, well, there you go. I mean, they really have a chance as far as a production to put on a show that you almost never have the chance to put on because these things, you know, the retirement of an all-time great where you knew going in, it's his retirement, win or lose, um, these things happen very rarely. So I hope that they don't just do a cookie cutter show, um, you know, and do something with the main event. I mean, we're just with the fact that it's the Cormier's retirement, you know, win or lose. Well, what do you think about just his biggest rivalry w- was John Jones and he, he did not, he was not able to topple that mountain. I know there's the, the issue with the Olympics and, 
And then, you know, he had the issue with the weight cut. And, and it just seems like he is built for these big moments. And often he is he has fallen short. And I think this is an opportunity for him to kind of erase that. And like you said, and end on top. But there, but that hasn't necessarily been the pattern of, of his career. To me, the big one was that night when um, when we were at the New Japan show. Mm hmm. And when he beat Miocic the first time, to me, that was the real redemption, because when he when he won the light heavyweight title, there was always the idea that he backed into the championship because he never beat John Jones. Yeah. But when he beat Miocic, I mean, he beat a a very good heavyweight champion, you know, who was number one in the world. He absolutely was. He absolutely did finally, you know, after all the tries in wrestling and all the tries in MMA of where he would, you know, second place, third place, you know, throughout the whole career, um, win national titles, Pan-American titles, never win world titles. Um, you know, just writing about the whole thing. I mean, he's, he, he always lost once in, in every world championship and, and, you know, not, not at the national level, but, but at the world level and at the Olympic level. And, you know, we actually lost twice in the Olympics in 2004, but one match from the medal stand. So it was always, yeah, he always came up short, but the Miocic fight, you know, I mean, even if he loses this fight, he can always say that he did achieve that world championship. To me, that was the big one. Now it's, you know, now it's a, it's, it's for the great feeling, but as far as the career accomplishment, he really did win a world championship. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, to me, that monkey's off his back. Um, and now this is just for final legacy and but it is final legacy in the sense of if he wins, you know, he's going to be even with the Jones losses. If he wins, he's going to be there with, um, you know, I mean, when people talk about the greatest fighter, there's a lot of reasons people will dismiss the guys who fail drug tests. And it's George St. Pierre. And well, I will say even if he wins, he's not George St. Pierre. He would have a great claim to number two. If he loses, you know, he's top 10 for sure, you know, but he's maybe number, I don't know, four or five or six. You know what I mean? He's not in the argument for number one. If he wins, he's in he's in the argument for number one. And and even of all time, he's in the argument for top three or four. If he wins, mm -hmm. if he loses, he's a little bit he's, he's, he's a little bit down the list. Just a little. What do you think about when it comes to trilogies in MMA? Where does this rank? Uh, I didn't give you this question beforehand, so now we're kind of thinking off the top of the he our heads. But just uh, you know, big trilogies in, in MMA history. Where where do you think this stands? Pretty high. You know, it's funny because, um, like there's trill. I don't know. It feels like there's trilogies because of grudge aspects and things where you would do higher. But um, I mean. You know, like Ken Shamrock and Tito was more famous or, um, you know, Tito and uh, Chuck Liddell in certain ways. There was just a weird, you know, dynamic to those ones. Um, for, the, for the heavyweights, there was uh, Kane and Junior. Kane and Junior was brutal, were brutal fights, yeah. two and three. They were brutal fights. Um, I don't know. It feels it, 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 it's it's really hard for me to judge. I think that they're, you know, you could kind because of, in, in a sense, this one should be higher, but I don't necessarily feel that that's the case. Yeah. Maybe because 
I think Kane and Junior felt more unbeatable to me because as good as Miocic is, I know he's not unbeatable. Whereas Junior, when he, you know, when Junior beat Kane and when Kane, you know what I mean? They they really had more, to me, they they both had more of an aura. I, I believe that the best Kane Velasquez um, beats both of these guys. Um, and I think the best Junior Dos Santos, I think beats Stipe Miocic too. So maybe that's why I would say that Kane and, and, and Junior to me is 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 stronger because the Kane that beat Junior in, in fight two and three, that Kane was unreal. You know, I mean, his the conditioning level was just a different, you know, just different um, than, than, you know, both of these guys, really. So I guess to me, um, but but the stakes in this one, I mean, it's like none of the Kane Junior fights, even though they were the top two heavyweights in the world at the time and of their of their era. Um, it's not like you're, they were never, I, I guess you could say they were fighting for the best heavyweight of all time in their, in their era, but both lost so many times later and Kane had all the injuries. And to me, you can't, right now, I mean, like you, you, you would have to say that the winner of this fight is the best heavyweight ever. Um, so in a sense, and we're later in the, in the, in the game. So I guess realistically it is a bigger fight, but I, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't feel as big in that way to me. You still leaning towards Stipe? Yeah, I mean, I'm leaning towards him. Um, you know, the the one thing to me that the last fight showed is that Cormier can come out there fast. He's he's, he's faster than Stipe. Um, and I think he's the better fighter, but he can't put him away. And because of the age, I don't know that he's going to have the conditioning in rounds four and five. I mean, Stipe took a beating in round one of that fight and yet he came back and he wasn't it wasn't like he was hampered or, or or hurt if you know what I mean like he wasn't he was he wasn't taken out and he took shot after shot after shot especially in the first round but but even in even in rounds two and three he was taking shots he wasn't blocking shots and um you know Cormier was the one getting tired even though he was putting the beating on him the whole time and so to me, that was like watching, you know, you know, the latter stages of the Cormier-Stipe fight. It was the feeling that, um, you know, um, Cormier just couldn't put him away. And I don't know what happens in round. And, and he can wait and, you know, but this is a different fight. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I do favor Stipe a little bit. Um, I hope, you know. I hope that uh, Cormier is the Cormier that, that Javier and Cormier say he is, that he's, you know, better than the Cormier that fought the last time, because the reality is the Cormier fought the last time for a couple of rounds was, was beating Stipe's ass. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, like I said, there's, there's all the questions and Stipe's gotten older too. You know, I mean, Stipe, I think he's 37 um, and everyone ages differently. I mean, he could, he could have hit the wall too since his last fight. We don't know. What do you think about in the semi-main, uh, Sean O'Malley, uh, both as a fighter and a, like a little bit of a, of a, I don't know if he's, a, I don't know if you'd consider him a social media star or I just know that my kid, uh, who is uh, 19, he's huge on O'Malley, both because he likes the young fighters, but also, you know, I think O'Malley's in that little video game world as well, where he really uh, relates to a lot of these youngsters. I think he's got something from from a, from an appeal standpoint. Does he have the ability to kind of match that? We're going to find out. This is his biggest test so far, right? He, oh, by far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's passed every test so far. You never know. I mean, like 
as long as you keep winning, you have to go with the idea. Like, he's looked impressive in his wins. It's not like you look and go, okay, he's beating people, but he really doesn't look that impressive. He has looked impressive. But those kind of guys, you know, until you get to the top level guys, and this is not quite there. This is maybe the step below that. But it's his toughest test. He absolutely, I mean, like the last fight he had, the one thing I remember is that everyone was talking about him. He, he you know, you know, some guys are, like you said, some guys are just stars. And and he, if he can win this fight um, and and win more big fights, and like if he's a champion, he'll be like a, a famous champion as opposed to just a guy with a belt. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, this is a big one for him. I think that's, yeah. it's And he's, you know, again, put in a, in a high spot on, um, you know, a, a big, big card. As far as the rest of the card, I mean, I imagine just based on their recent fights, Dos Santos and Rosenstruck is going to end in, in fireworks. They've both been knocked out relatively quickly of late. Uh, and uh, what about the rest of this card, though? I know that there's the... The uh, opening match on the main card is a rematch of a, of a fight that, that I think most thought was stopped too early. But what about the rest? Is there anything else on the rest of this card that you're really looking forward to? Um, I mean, the Rosenstruck fight is, is interesting just because someone's going to probably get knocked out. And it could be either one. It's just kind of who connects first. Um, but, you know, yeah, aside from that, um, I don't know. Not I'm not, not like any... Uh, there's nothing else like that's right on the top of my head where it's just like, um, you know, I mean, you know, the, the Rosenstruck and the, um, the main event are the two big ones to me. Um, but you know, it's a good card. Yeah. It, 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 I'll definitely be watching on, uh, on Saturday night now. Cause I can't go to your house. I got to pay for all these shows. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll get back to Dave in a second. But first, we're going to talk about Sunday Ticket. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. And yeah, I, uh, I got to figure out what I'm doing with my fantasy draft. Uh, it's coming up really soon here. NFL, supposedly, maybe in a month, if all things go well. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Uh, Okay, so just a quick change of subject here because uh, John and I are talking WCW Saturday Night 1992. We're actually following the the TV. And the previous uh, show that we just talked about was the Ron Simmons beating Big Van Vader in Baltimore. And... I was just kind of like trying to think back because I was I was pretty into this stuff during this time frame. 91 was probably my peak as far as my childhood and, and as following it like as closely as I was. But I was still pretty hardcore in 92. And I'm trying to remember if I saw Ron Simmons coming or not because I know that they had done some special interviews with him and they were trying to uh, promote him a little bit differently than they had in the past. 
But I still don't really remember thinking that, okay, you know, very soon Ron Simmons is going to be a world champion. Well, they, in- they, if you remember, they didn't even advertise that match. It right. Was, it was thrown on as like a replacement match. It was Sting and Vader. And in the match before, I think it was a match before, it was Nikita and Rick Rude. And Sting comes in because Cactus Jack interferes. And so Sting gets attacked by Jake the Snake, and Jake puts him out. So now they have no cont- uh, no uh, challenger for the main event. And Bill Watts does this thing where he picks like seven names out of a hat, and Ron Simmons is the one who gets picked. All seven names being Ron Simmons. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, I mean the the names the the people that were out there were were actually pretty interesting. Van Hammer's out there, and <laughs> no no Steve Austin, even though he's the TV champion. But like. Because I, I remember uh, when we had talked to Missy Hyatt, and I played a little bit of a clip of that show on on this show, and you had said that you know you had this long conversation with Bill, and it wasn't really you talking; it was mostly you listening. <laughs> the two hour conversation with Bill, where I listened and said about four words in two hours. Yeah, but I mean, did he did he sort of have an idea at that point that one hundred percent Simmons was going to be one of the guys? One hundred percent. He all but told me without telling me. You know, I mean, he. I think my four words had to be when he was giving me the rhetorical question of, you know, um, <laughs> we're in, you know, we're gonna we're 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 based in Atlanta, and then he's doing the demographic thing for Atlanta, mm-hmm. and he's and he's just like, so what would you do? <laughs> and it was just like, and who would you do it with? And I mean, I didn't say, but it was like, he was basically telling me, but he didn't, he, he didn't, it's not like he told me ahead of time that it, and he would never do that. He would be the last person to tell me ahead of time about it. But as far as hinting it, yeah, you, you know, he would be, he did, you know, I mean, I mean, I knew it was coming. I didn't know when it was coming. And obviously I didn't know it was coming that night because, um, there were people who knew, I think the wrestling magazine people kind of knew, and I may have even been tipped off by them. Not that they knew, because I don't even think that Bill would have told them. Bill would have just told them, you know, get get to Baltimore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Get to Baltimore. You need to be in Baltimore. And I think I knew. I think I knew that. But um, you know, I don't think that they told him that you know Ron Simmons is winning the title. And again, you know, there was no Vader versus Ron Simmons match advertised. If there was a Vader Ron Simmons match advertised for the title on a big show, I absolutely would expect it. You know, the yeah. title to change hands, but. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. And when it happened, I wasn't surprised. I mean, but, but I didn't know either going in. It was, um, but yeah, no, no, absolutely. Day one, I, I, you know, he, he absolutely, that was like his big plan. Number one was Ron Simmons world champion. And and that was Bill, you know, Bill was always, you know, for, for, um, you know, I mean, Bill, Bill gets heavily criticized and, and he said some things that he should be heavily criticized for. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, and he will readily admit that today. Um, you know, his views, um, when Scott Williams and Bill, you know, became very good friends when they did the book together and, and Bill was just like, you know, the views that I had before were, were, you know, really dumb. And I don't know if he said really dumb, but I absolutely don't have those views now. And, and, um, I can see why people said that, but you know, Bill, you know, Bill has his good and his bad and he's a genius. He was a genius as, as a booker and a, as a promoter. Um, you know, as far as making things logical and he had, you know, I mean, the 1992 flaws, you know, and I've talked about this before, it wasn't that Bill wasn't smart. It was that the business changed and he wasn't around and it was a scary lesson. But if Bill had been around for those five years and evolved with those five years, Bill would have been great in 92, but it didn't happen. Um, 
but but Bill, you know, Bill was always, you know, more progressive when it came to pushing blacks both as 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 main event wrestlers and even as, you know, Booker with Ernie Ladd and everything like that and you know, but it was you know, it was it was not it 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 you know, people will say affirmative action it was not that. It was it was absolutely do him doing what he thought was the right thing for business 100%. It had nothing to do with you know, uh, rights or, or wanting to do something for moral reasons. It was, you know, and, 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 and the funny thing is, is Simmons was not for business. He was not the right choice, mm-hmm. but Bill thought he was. And so that's why he, he, he didn't get the title to be the first black world champion. He got the title because Bill thought that he was the guy who would do the most business. And he lost the title because he wasn't doing that business. And that's the, the story behind it. Um, and, and if you look back, uh, the first pay-per-view, he faces the barbarian who is at that point a like a WWF cast off, though. Uh, and, and, and a longtime WCW, you know, mid card level guy. Nobody, nobody bought. I mean, the barbarian was a very talented guy, but, um, you know, he didn't do promos and nobody bought it. Nobody bought him as a challenger. I mean, and I, I, they didn't buy him as a challenger, certainly not to win the world title. No, I mean, I will say, you know, you know, Ron did not have a great group of contenders and that mm-hmm. that hurt him also but ron also um god i'd say it but he you know in those days the world champion had to be a certain guy and and ron you know ron was a great athlete but he he just uh, he wasn't that dynamic of a performer at that at that level i mean he was certainly good um he was certainly believable and you know had the athletic pedigree like few but you know, it's, it's it's whatever that intangible is. I never thought Ron had it. You know, to be a world champion, not 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 that he didn't have to be a main event star, but 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 to be a world champion was is a level above that. To be like a Terry Funk or a Jack Briscoe or something like that. You know, I I just never saw him at that level, and you know, he really wasn't. You know, so I think that's you know the situation. I mean, it's it's really interesting when I think about that because. I mean, you look at that crowd reaction. It really was an s- incredible crowd reaction. It was mm-hmm. a surprise element. Because in the building, now, you know, in the building, like, nobody thought he was winning. Yeah. I mean, nobody. And so that's what made the win so fantastic in the building. But it didn't carry over to, you know, television and and television ratings and, uh, you know, Ron going on the road after that win and being a big star. It didn't carry, it didn't carry over. It was wonderful that night. Um you know, and and it's not just the contenders. It just didn't, you know, I don't think people bought him at the level that like, like, I don't think they saw him like Sting, you know, and, and, you know, you know, Ric Flair and people like that. You know, what's interesting, you, you say Baltimore, and I would assume because, you know, a very large African-American uh, community in Baltimore. And I was talking to my friend, he, I think he said he was 10 years old when he was uh, he was live at that show. And so I said, you know, who did you guys think was actually going to be chosen out of, out of the hat? Like, did you know it was going to be Ron? He said they did not know. They didn't think it was going to be Ron. He said the super casual fans or, you know, most of that crowd, they actually thought it was going to be Ric Flair. Like they were hoping for Flair to come back because he said that Baltimore was, was Flair country. 
So there's still that element, you know, over a year later of, you know, when is Ric Flair going to come back and save us from, you know, from these, uh, <laughs> these for these world championships? Well, I mean, that's, that's the other that's the other thing is they were still until Ric Flair came back. And that was, a, you know, 93. It was it was the absence of Ric Flair was always cast a shadow over everything in that company. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the way he left. Um, and it was like he was so, you know, um, just in people's minds, he was the NWA WCW. And, he, you know, they, you know, I mean, for, for the whole period, they were doing the We Want Flair chants. I mean, it's like, I don't think that there's ever been, with, there's one exception, which is CM Punk. That's the only one where a guy has gone for years and at the arena, they just chant his name. And with CM Punk, it was not so much a chant for CM Punk as much as a chant that fuck you, Vince McMahon or yeah, fuck yeah, you, Stephanie exactly. or whatever, right? You know, we, we hate management, so we're going to chant CM Punk. With Ric Flair, it was, it was, you know, we want Ric Flair back. You know, it's, it was a very different thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I was at, I was at a house show right after he left. Uh, my very first... Maybe my only WCW house show in in Oakland, and very it was it was like I, you couldn't even really pay attention to the show because everyone was just so disappointed Rick wasn't there. Yeah. So um, no, all right, no thanks thanks for that. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really excited for the UFC, and uh, even though you know because I am still a fan of this stuff, but because I look at this stuff a little bit differently, there's very few fighters who I necessarily pull for. I just kind of want to see, you know, what happens. But, you know, this is a really, this would be a great, one of the great stories when it comes to swan songs in any, uh, in any uh, combat sport, I think, if, if Daniel Cormier does win. Yeah, I think it's going to be like one of the greatest moments in, in history that we'll look back on for years and years if he wins. So it'd be really cool if he wins. Um, it's like I'm I don't like root for people. I do like Daniel, you know, but it's 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 even if I didn't know him. Um, there's something about him. I Maybe it's the whole story. But, you know, you, here's the thing. Also, you see him on commentary every week. And the deal is, is when you see him on commentary, you think. This guy would be so cool to hang out with, right? <laughs> okay, and I've I've hung out with him, and he and he is, he really is. You know, it's like I, um, you know, it's more um, at the airport or or on flights. You know, you just sit and 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 he's exactly that guy. It's like mm -hmm. if you think is he putting on airs, that's the guy. Um, you know, we're at the gym and things like that. He's a really nice guy, and a really good. guy guy you know, Stipe's a good guy too though but but with um with Cormier I mean one of the things that hurt him so much was in the feud with John Jones when the people turned on him and cheered John Jones that was really hard for him because he knew as we all know that John is like an incredible asshole mm -hmm. you know I mean he really is he, he and 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 DC is a, a really good guy and the people because Jones is, you know, the cooler fighter at the time. You know, it was it was almost like, you know, at the beginning, you know, by the end, I think by the second fight, I was at the second fight. Okay. The first fight, it felt like I wasn't at the first fight. I remember watching it on TV. I'm, you know, but the second fight I was at, and I will say at the second fight, I felt most of the crowd was for, for DC. It had changed. The first fight, they were definitely for John Jones. Throughout DC's championship run, 
there was that specter of you're the fake champion and, and him trying to claim that, hey, John's not around. I really won the real world championship. I am a real world champion. I don't need to be John Jones. I was the best on this day because the other guy's not around. So I'm the world champion. And people just um, were just like, you lost to John Jones. How can you be the world champion? You're the default champion. And, and I understand that mentality, but it wasn't his fault. He only could beat the guys they put in front of him when John was out and he beat every single one of those guys, you know, including Gustafson, you know, when Gustafson was at his peak in in one of the most gutsy performances that you will ever see. I mean, the Daniel Cormier, when you think about the Daniel Cormier Gustafson fight, to me, that's that's that is my favorite Daniel Cormier fight because he's given up seven inches in height in a five round striking match to a guy who started striking when he was like 12 and Daniel never put on a pair of gloves until he was 30 and the guy's <laughs> like 12 years, whatever it was, younger than him. It it made absolute, you know, in theory, Daniel could beat him by out-wrestling him, but he didn't out-wrestle him. He didn't even hardly wrestle. So in a striking battle, he should have gotten destroyed. And it was a war for, for four rounds and they both had two rounds and we knew it came down to that fifth round. And it was just, you know, it was that battle of wills. And at the end of the day, um, Daniel was the mentally tougher guy of the two. And that's how he won. And that was the toughest fight of Cormier's life. That was tougher than the John Jones fights, even though he lost the Jones fights, because that was that was when you had to dig in deep. And to me, that was, you know, that's kind of my um, my favorite Cormier fight because of of just what I just said. And yeah, I mean, he's a a, a likable He's a likable character, and especially now. I mean, because I'm sure everybody, you know, is going to want him to win just because they they see him as an announcer and they like him as an announcer. And and when he loses, you know, you're gonna, he, you know, he's one of those few guys where, when he loses, if he loses, um, people will be genuinely sad. You know, in a different at a different emotional level than when somebody else loses. And if he wins, I think people will be way more happy mm-hmm. than when other people win. I know when we were at the I mean, um, at the uh, Cow Palace watching on the screen when he knocked out Stipe the first time. And it was like that reaction that I had was, I mean, you know, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I probably had that when Frank Shamrock would fight because we were personal friends, mm-hmm. but I never really had that. And, you know, I mean, to an extent in, in fights with guys I knew, but I, I knew guys better than Cormier a lot better. That I that I never had that reaction. I mean, to me, it was like, oh, this is like the. It was like a really wonderful sports moment. That that moment right there, and so um, and this could you know, and this will be bigger if he wins. Um, yeah. So, I'm hoping I'm I'm hoping for the sake of that wonderful moment that that he wins. Yeah. No, it'd be great. Uh, all right. Uh, so uh, that's it from here. So for Dave, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.